You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. Welcome to the first episode of season four of the RN Mentor podcast. I have the great pleasure of having uh, Dr. Sheldon Fields uh, with us today. Dr. Fields is a research professor and associate dean for equity and inclusion in the College of Nursing at Penn State University. Uh, He is also founder and CEO of the SDF Group LLC, which is a health innovation consultant company. He has 30 years of experience in the healthcare sector and is a well-known and respected HIV AIDS prevention research scientist with a significant focus on young men of color. He is an advanced AIDS certified registered nurse and a board certified family nurse practitioner. He is a lifetime member of the National Black Nurses Association and currently the national first vice president. Uh, Dr. Fields is a fellow of the American Academy of Nursing Uh, the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, and the National Academies of Practice. Dr. Field received his uh, PhD in nursing science from the University of Pennsylvania, his uh, Master of Science in Family Nursing, and BS in nursing from Binghamton University. He completed his postdoctoral work in the Center for AIDS Prevention Studies at the University of California, San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Dr. Fields. Thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't know who all that information is, but it sounds pretty good. <laughs> it sounds it sounds really good. It sounds really good. Uh, I'm impressed. I'm always impressed with you know some of my guests that I have on the show. Uh, not, I'm impressed with all of my guests on the show. Uh, but when I see, when I read some of the stuff that's, that's on people's uh, bios, I'm amazed at all the work that uh, that that you put into uh, into your work, and that's where the recognitions come comes from. Uh, and just so everybody, uh, all my listeners know, uh, the bio is much longer than this, uh, and it will be on the website. So please make sure you check out the full bio uh, of Dr. Fields, uh, which is uh, very uh, impre- impressive. I'll tell you, um, um, Ali. Um, I think it's only. Uh, sort of representative of who we are and what we do as nurses. It's one of the reasons why I love being a nurse because we're, we're not limited. We, we can do so many things with our, even with our basic nursing education, let alone as we progress in our educational journeys. So, you know, nursing has opened up quite a few doors um, and, and I really, really like that aspect. And I talk to students about it all the time. Um, what an amazing career and what you can do. You know, never underestimate what you can do with a, a, a bachelor's degree in nursing to start with. 
Right. Absolutely. hundred uh, percent agree. And that's one of the reasons, you know, uh, I wanted you on the show because you do bring a different perspective uh, with your, with, with the work that you're doing now. But I, before we get into that, uh, your comment was a great seg- segue into, into my first question that I start all my guests off with is how did you get started in the world of nursing? So interestingly enough, when I was growing up, when you look around at your family and you look around, well, who's doing what and who seems to be successful? The, one of the most successful people in my immediate family was my mother's oldest sister, my aunt, uh, Lorraine. And so, you know, and, and we, when I mean success, you know, you know, she drove a nice car. She, she had a house. We always went to her <laughs> house. Um, so, you know, I was like, well, what do you do for a living? And she was a registered professional nurse. Wow. So she became my first sort of inspiration and, and one of my long-term mentors for nursing. Uh, and then as I progressed through school, you know, I was very fortunate. I was pretty smart. You know, I got good grades. So people always, you know, sort of, I was supposed to be the family's first doctor. Oh, we're going to be, he's going to be the first <laughs> doctor. You know, he's pretty smart. And true to form, um, I did go to undergrad. My, my original major was, pre, was pre-med. Um, but I had went to a vocational technical high school in New York, uh, Clara Barton High School for Health Professions. And I had actually trained in the LPN program. So uh, by the time I got to college, I realized my true calling. Um, uh, well, I realized not only my true calling was nursing, but I, I think that that first chemistry class helped me also realize my true calling was in nursing. Uh, uh, it was not going to be pre-med. Um, and, and I really focused in on, on becoming a nurse. And from there, you know, um, it wasn't any looking, it wasn't, it was no, no, no turning back. Yeah. Uh, that that's, um, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit amazing for me that uh, how some of the family members or some of the things that we see as children really influence our pathway uh, into uh, into our professions later in life. Because my mom was a radiological technologist, and that's kind of where she, um, you know, she she immigrated with me. Uh, she brought me here as a when I was uh, 11 years old, and that's the that's the that's where she went into healthcare. And that kind of set this stage for me to look into healthcare as my uh, life progressed. Um, but I also relates to your chemistry thing. Cause I remember my first uh, chemistry teacher, he, he looked, he, his voice had like, I think it was at, a, as a, at 10 decibels, like it didn't go above that. And yeah. he looked at the board and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pass this class, but, but I did, I did, I did with a lot of, a lot of work. So uh, that's great. Um, so uh, how did you decide, uh, how did you decide once you were in, in nursing, like which, where, where you were going to practice or what area uh, you were going to practice in? Um, I'll, I'll give you sort of, sort of the quick overview. You know, I graduated from my nursing program in the early 90s and was rich from New York City. So I went back home. My very first job was at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center um, because I really was going to focus on oncology. That was the area I was sort of gravitating but when I got the Sloan uh, uh, Kettering, they were treating a lot of HIV AIDS patients, 
for the cancer-related sequelae um, and really uh, got an interest uh, early on in treating uh, HIV patients. And then, you know, um, um, because I had a couple of friends who had also been impacted by, by the epidemic, um, got more and more into HIV uh, education, outreach, uh, prevention work. Then, while again, while working at Sloan, uh, on the evening shift, I encountered uh, a woman, um, one of my colleagues who was working as a family nurse practitioner. And she would be, she would cover the patients in the evening. So I got really interested in what she was doing in the role of a nurse practitioner. So I actually asked her, uh, I was like, you know, can I come in one evening and just sort of shadow you and, and see what you do? She was so gracious with her time, Ali. You know, she said, absolutely. So I went and I watched her and that was it. I was amazed. I was like, I, could, I, I need to become a nurse practitioner. So I went back and I became a family nurse practitioner. Uh, uh, did, did my, my, my um, uh, got bitten by the research bug. Um, <laughs> had one of my professors say to me, and, and early on in my master's program, well, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I was just like, well, you know, I'm going to go, you know, um, get, get a life, buy a car, maybe get, you know, she was like, no, I think you need to go get a PhD in nursing. And I was like, you can do that. <laughs> um, and she said, absolutely. So that led to me uh, winding up at, at the University of Pennsylvania for a PhD in nursing science. Uh, working with my long-term mentor in HIV-AIDS prevention, Dr. Loretta Sweet Jamont, and her, her husband, Dr. John Jamont. Um, and um, that led to, to, to my career in HIV research and, you know, uh, uh, a pathway to academia, um, you know. And then from there, you know, became, you know, an academic administrator and, you know, all the things that I've been able to do that have culminated in, in the work that I do now as an associate dean for equity and inclusion, in uh, as of yesterday, uh, uh, Ali, what is now officially the Ross and Carol Neese College of Nursing at Penn State University. Our college just got endowed yesterday. Congratulations on that! Actually, I saw that on LinkedIn uh, with with a very generous gift. Uh, 20, that... Yeah, yeah, twenty seven point one two five million. If 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 anyone really wants to know what that number was. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. I saw, I saw that on your post yesterday and I was like, wow, that that's that's incredible. Uh, I happen to be uh, uh, at a at a at a at a school that that is also named the Patricia H. N. School of Nursing. Uh, also a, a generous gift. I think it was around seven million dollars um, that 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 did that. And, and and I love it. I love the fact that uh, you know, people uh, have the dollars and and are willing to invest back in nursing. So congratulations on that. Um, yeah. Now, now you worked uh, uh, the HIV AIDS uh, component of this uh, again. Something else I can relate to. My I was a Navy corpsman for uh, several uh, for about ten years, and my first duty station at the Naval Medical Center, San Diego. Uh, I think I've mentioned this in previous podcasts. Um, um, I was on a medical surgical urology floor. Um, but most of my patients ended up being HIV AIDS patients of uh, service members, family members of service members. Um, mm -hmm. um, so um, uh, you know, that was my first like, real experience into healthcare. 
uh, and, I, and I loved working with those patients. Uh, they were just incredible individuals and uh, went through a lot uh, during the early 90s. I was, that was 90, 92 to 93 or so is when I worked with, with that population and um, very, very happy that I, I got my start in the world of uh, healthcare with, with the working with that population because it really set the stage for me as to where my career was going to eventually go. So, yeah. But thank yeah. you for your work on that. That's, that's amazing. Um, now, uh, now you did mention your, your current role uh, uh, as, uh, as the uh, um, uh, Dean of Equity and Inclusion. Um, uh, now, now with that, uh, what is, what does that role uh, entail uh, for you? So, you know, the, the role that I'm in as the Associate Dean of Equity and Inclusion is an inaugural role in, at, at Penn State. Um, and I think it, was, it more speaks to the need for us to ensure that we are producing a future working, nur uh, future working nurse force that really does uh, mirror the society that we are, that we are and are becoming. Because you know, our society is becoming more and more racially, ethnically diverse and older. Um, and nursing as a profession, uh, quite honestly, at you know, still in many places, 90% female and 80% white is not a diverse profession. Um, as much as I love nursing, I think nursing has been derelict in its long standing um, sort of uh, social contract, if you will. Uh, we, ha we have an obligation in, in nursing because you know, we don't get to choose our patients in nursing, nor should we ever get to choose our patients in, uh, in nursing. We have to care for everyone, irregardless of who they are, race, ethnicity, age, religion, gender, gender identity, it does not matter because our ANA, our uh, nursing code of ethics calls us to be present and humanistic and compassionate um, in every single circumstance. So uh, if nursing is to really fulfill that societal obligation, then when we look at who is a part of our profession, we should look like the rainbow coalition that our nation really is. So, so nursing has a lot of work to do in positions like mine, um, bringing in uh, content experts and people who have had experience in various aspects of our uh, profession um, to really guide and champion this area for uh, uh, um, like a major school that Penn State is, um, I think is really important. I'm, I'm extremely honored to be given the inaugural role to help Penn State develop this. I'm working with a phenomenal dean. Her name is Dr. Lori Badzik. She has vision. Uh, we are partnering together and we are putting forth a strategic agenda to really uh, not only help the Commonwealth of the state of Pennsylvania, but you know, our, our students go all over the world. And this is now the time in, in not only nursing, but in our society you know, you know, because we, we there's a lot of, of racial ethnic uh, tension going on in the country. We all know it. Um, it. It can't be ignored, but nursing has to rise above it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's that's fantastic work, and um, something that I've I've struggled with uh, through uh, various organizations of of rep- talking about representation, um, and something that you know I have um, struggled with my current organization that I'm working with um, because they recently raised uh, uh, the GPA levels for the school. Of, of the individuals getting in. And I work, I'm, I work at a state school. So, um, and so for, for a state school to raise GPAs, which makes it more uh, exclusive than inclusive, in my opinion. Um, I mean, it's, it's something that they did because the number of applicant, qualified applicants they had, they raised it. So just to raise the standards, but what I think it, it may have done is exclude a large population um, of students that, that would have been able to perhaps get in. Now I have a yeah. question for you. Do you think at, at, at what point, what do you think um, would be the point where we need to start tapping into students so they are prepared for the for a role in nursing, especially diverse students, right? Uh, students that are underrepresented period in, in higher education, but students that are under, or, or uh, students that would actually diversify the workforce more for nursing, which is where we would like to see it. Um, where do yeah. we tap into them? Because I think like by the time they apply for nursing school, that's kind of like too late, right? Because- Oh, it's way too late. It's right? way, oh, it's way too late. So I'm a very big proponent that we should be talking about nursing and the nursing profession in elementary school. We, we, it starts there. Because honestly, even by the time they get to high school, um, a lot of students have already made up their mind, it's too late. Right. Um, so part of what we do uh, in the National Black Nurses Association, where I'm really honored to serve as the first vice president, is you know, within our 100 plus chapters in 35 states, we encourage our chapters to adopt these schools. We go into the schools, um, you know, we do their health fairs, you know, we talk about the profession. Um, and and uh, our president, Dr. Martha Dawson, has a whole vision for doing this. Uh, she's setting up something called the Mini Nurse Academy. That's her vision for doing this type of work. But we have got to, and, and even now, I'll still step in front of classrooms where people will say things to me like, well, you can't be a nurse. You know, you're a man. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, so, so one, one, you need to know that, 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 you know, being a male is not an exclusionary criteria for being a nurse. Um, uh, but these students truly, a lot of them uh, have an image of a nurse uh, that is, you know, of the majority. Um, so those of us who, who are, you know, racially or ethnically diverse or gender diverse within a profession, we have to do more to uh, talk about the profession, to let people know that there's a pathway to nursing for individuals who look like we do or look like they do. So, cause you know, I, again, you know, I show up at plenty of meetings but they have never met a male nurse, a black nurse, an Hispanic nurse, uh, uh, and being half Puerto Rican, I'm both. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm used to that. Um, but I don't want to get used to that. Right. Um, so we really do need to talk more in, in uh, admission standards, like you alluded to, to nursing school, increasing things like GPA or 
um, standardized testing, uh, SATs, ACTs, or even um, having the, the two-tiered system where you know, you're admitted to pre-nursing and then we admit you to the upper division major based on, it, based on your T's test or whatever it is, uh, or your GPA at that point. I think all of those policies create unnecessary barriers, particularly to ethnic minority nursing students who for whatever reason um, may or may not do as well on those standardized tests or which have been, which mind you have been proven to be racially biased, um, who, who may not have had the resources to have the same educational opportunities. Um, and even the progression policies through nursing you know, a lot of nursing programs, you know, you get one C in a class and oh, oh my God, you can't become a nurse. I think it's the most absurd thing. Yeah. You know, there are plenty of doctors, MDs, DOs who graduated medical school with C's. Um, but for somehow in nursing, we have to be almost perfect. And I think nursing puts way too much pressure on itself and on its students. Um, but we have got to do better. Uh, we got to get more into holistic admissions policies, because we should be looking for, for nursing students who, who really do have that humanistic, compassionate sense um, versus, you know, somebody who, you know, yes, they may have gotten straight A's, but they have no personality, no humanistic interaction skills, and they're, they're borderline psychopaths. So no, <laughs> that, that doesn't make a good nurse. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. Well, some of those nurses end up on, I think, on the news once in a while too. So, <laughs> so yes, yes, yes. All that yeah, stereotype but, of nurse ratchet that doesn't yes. help us. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, you know, uh, yeah, so I, I 100% agree. And I, I think, I think one of the problems is um, uh, I, I wish there was some kind of, a, there, there was better representation of what holistic admissions look like within the world of nursing, because we, we do definitely do ourselves a, a great disservice when we not admit some of the people that are not uh, falling on the, under the right criteria. Um, and I think a lot of uh, schools that are just looking at their first NCLEX pass rates as a measure of how well the school is doing instead of looking, I think, at how well they're preparing students um, for that NCLEX exam and pass rates, right? Um, so, I mean, it's easy to, you know, admit a, a whole bunch of 4.0 or some of them are even higher than 4.0s uh, students and then have them do well academically and then take a test at the end. But it's, it's all those other components that makes nursing what nursing is, which is the compassion piece. And I 100% I agree. I 100% agree. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now I have a question about uh, because we we uh, I know you also have your uh, uh, SDF group um, uh, which which is looking at health innovation which you you, you look at that uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I think uh, it it expands really really my portfolio of of people I I've spoken to as to how. Uh, I know a couple of people people who have you know gone the innovations route, but I haven't spoken to anybody on the podcast, and um, really want to explore that because again, uh, we do so much work on on representing bedside nursing, but uh, nursing is so much bigger than that. So I want to spend a little bit of time speaking 
uh, about that, if you would, please. Sure. So remember, I, I, I started uh, talking about sort of the multidimensionality of our nursing profession, the multiple things that we can do. So as I progressed with my nursing career, um, it became evident that I had gathered, you know, certain skills in certain areas, and I started to do more and more consulting work. And even during the pandemic, when things shut down, my consulting work just took off. Um, and, you know, I had a good accountant a couple of years ago that said to me, um, you need an LLC because you're making too much money with, with your consulting gigs. One, I, was, I laughed at him. I was like, as an accountant, you should never tell people they make too much money. <laughs> two, two, I understood his point, though. So it helped me to sort of focus, and I did form my LLC. It's called the SDF Group. It's the Health Innovation uh, uh, Healthcare Consulting Company. And I tucked underneath all of that, all of, of my consulting work, which in many ways is a lot of innovative work because I'm, I'm on the, I, was, I found myself on the cutting edge of developing, you know, different types of DNP programs and um, doing uh, consulting work around setting up diversity and equity inclusion training programs or going in and uh, helping with some professional development for my nursing colleagues as well, particularly with a focus on nurses of color who I still think um, get the wrong information about even how to enter our profession. Like, mm -hmm. you know, there's a certain target. Uh, people think, oh, in order to become a nurse, I first have to start out as like a nursing assistant, then become an LPN, you know, then get an ADN, then my BSN. It's like, no, who told you that? You know, you know, your pathway to nursing out of high school can be straight to a baccalaureate degree, you know, and I think, I think people get the wrong information or even at the other end. Well, you know, we, we, have, we now have a lot of DNP graduates and a lot of them are based in our clinical institutions, but a lot of them want to do things like teaching, but they've never been taught how to teach. That's not what a DNP program teaches them to do. And in this assumption that you get a doctoral degree, even a clinical doctoral degree, and all of a sudden, oh yeah, you can go ahead and teach, no. They, they have to be taught. A lot of them have never even taken an educational uh, a pedagogy course um, and don't know how to level you know, a learning objective. Uh, so there's that transition that has to happen. And we can do that in very innovative ways of transitioning people from a clinical position into a teaching position. So I started even doing some of that work um, so, I mean, and then of course, uh, my first love, which is HIV, uh, I've got involved in doing a lot of, of uh, international uh, clinical trials uh, through the work with, with some of my colleagues through like the HIV Prevention Trials Network and the HIV Vaccine Trials Network. Um, and again, always from a looking at the work that they're doing from a cultural lens, um, about how to implement that research with, with diverse groups, how to recruit them, how to retain them. So, so as you can see, it, even, even my uh, innovative consulting work is, is a wide sort of platter platform of things. 
Um, and I think I think it's partly also in my Aquarian nature. I, I like to do many things at once. Um, um, I, I, I like to joke that, you know, my, my birthday is the same day, uh, uh, January 29th, as Oprah Winfrey. Uh, so, so, so she does a lot of things and, you know, I, 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 I haven't been able to meet her in my life. So, you know, if somebody wants to send this podcast to Oprah, Oprah, you know, we, we need to celebrate our birthdays together. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, 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 as a fellow Aquarian, I, I'm great. I, I agree with you. There's way too See, much. Aquarians rock. Aquarians rock. Uh, I didn't we... even know that about you, but I now understand our connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, definitely too much on my plate, and I just keep piling more. I'm like, I want to do more, um, yeah. but yeah, I 100 percent agree. Um, now, uh, now from it from an innovation perspective, uh, how did you pick pick your projects, right? Because I tend to pick my projects based on things that I find, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I gravitate to that brings me joy, sort of a thing. Uh, how do yes. you pick your projects of what you're going, what you work on? very similar. You know, I got good at quite a few things. Like, you know, as I progressed with my HIV work uh, and research, and I um, had had students, um, uh, graduate students and even doctoral students. So, you know, they extend your work. Um, And then again, looking at it, you know, big, big research teams working on things like, you know, uh, uh, prep medications for prevention. uh, and, and, And like, just knowing where you can have an impact. Um, And one of the other uh, areas that I really got interested in at one point was the whole health policy area. Mm. You know, uh, I was the Robert Wood Johnson Health Policy Fellow during the time of the Obama administration. I worked for Senator Barbara McCulsey from the great state of Maryland. And I actually worked on the Affordable Care Act. Um, you know, in, in everything that went into that bill, which was, which was a total game changer. So for a while, I, I, and I still do quite a bit of health policy work. Um, I bring a health policy lens to a lot of the work that I do. Uh, and I can consider the health policy side of things. Um, I also, you know, you take your experience and, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to have quite a few really great opportunities in leadership. And you start mentoring the next generation. Um, that, that's how that part came out. Um, you, you'll be amazed when I look at some uh, uh, students right out of uh, undergrad, you look at their resumes, it's like, yeah, you're not gonna get a job with this, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you fix this. <laughs> <laughs> or, or I look at a colleague's CV who's going up for promotion and like, no, no, let's streamline it. Let's fix this, let's focus it. Um, and that just comes from experience. Um, in the things that you pick up along the way. Um, and again, nursing affords you those things. Um, um, and I really do, um, and I really want your audience to hear this, I really do consider myself to be a nurse entrepreneur. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, I, I, I definitely, uh, based on just reading your bio and a, and a few things I've listened to from, from you, uh, uh, it, it, I think I, I agree with you from a, from a nurse entrepreneur perspective, because so many people, when you talk to them about nurse entrepreneurs, uh, they think that they need to, 
uh, like have a product, like like a physical product that they're selling, right? Uh, which which there are entrepreneurs out there that do that. They have created something, they are marketing it, and they're selling it. Uh, but there is that intellectual product that I think nursing. I don't know if nursing has done a really good job in tapping into, right? Uh, that well, intellectual yeah. property that you know that like using your skill set and your experience in order to diversify uh, income or, or, or increase uh, or branch out other than what we do in the four walls of the hospital or a clinic? Well, I think because as nurses, we are natural educators. So we were so used to giving away our expertise you know, uh, you know, it's, it's just second nature to part of what we do. And uh, there is a way to do that, but also to monetize part of what we do and package your expertise, uh, whether it be in a clinical area or a research area or whatever area it's in, um, and, and to be able to leverage it, you know, um, uh, I don't mind some of my colleagues who use social media, you know, because I think it's it's a tool, um, and some of them do use it quite well. Yep. And, and think about it, Ali. You know, when we think about nursing and reaching the uh, next generation, the, the the millennials and the Gen Zers, social media is where they live. Right. Um, right. So so if you really want to have an influence on on those on that next generation you gotta have somewhat of a social media presence. Yeah, I agree. Um, and uh, uh, I often get, I used to get interesting sort of, of comments from people who, who when they you know, will Google you or do whatever and they go, Dr. Fields, do you know you have a Wikipedia page? I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had a graduate student who did that. I was like, do you know you can have a Wikipedia page? Uh, uh, you know, people just think about, you know, you know, the radio platforms of LinkedIn or, you know, or Facebook or Instagram. Um, um, my, my, one of my uh, students uh, uh, is trying to convince me to, to, to uh, do some TikTok. And I'm like, oh, Dr. Fields needs to draw a line somewhere. That, that's where uh, I draw the line. TikTok so, is where so I draw I'm, the I'm, line. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not yet TikToking. But I, but I do see the appeal of it. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, social media. I think uh, it, it's definitely. I mean, I have, I have my private accounts that I close off to everybody except close friends and family, and then I have my public yes. accounts that I, you know, I put, uh, I put what I put on there. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. but, Absolutely. But that, but yes. there definitely has to be a presence. I think I think people who look away from social media and not just because of their the controversy or whatever that's on social use of social yeah. media, I think you need to be strategic uh, in, but, in how you use it. it. But think about it as a tool. Right. It has allowed the world to be a lot smaller, information to be disseminated a lot quicker, right. and and even even more efficiently. So, so I see it as a tool and, and, yeah. and um, I think you can get better at using it and utilizing it. Uh, I think uh, uh, you also have to find a balance in what you do. Because mm. uh, like you, I have my private accounts. I have my public, what I call my public facing accounts. Right. Um, uh, one of my students was like, oh, Dr. Fields, why are you not on Facebook? I'm like, I am. 
I just don't use my real name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm, I, I don't have a, I don't have any aliases uh, on, on social media, but, but it is, you know, uh, but, but I agree. I think uh, um, people are, uh, again, I think there's a hesitancy for, for a lot of people to get on social media because of things that they have heard and seen, but it is, you're absolutely right. It is a tool, just like a resume or a CV or a portfolio. Uh, it's another tool to be used uh, in the profession. Actually, I, 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 over especially over the last year, it's been my, it's been the way I've networked. Um, Absolutely. So well, all of us, we, 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 we've been at home for almost two years, and right. and, it, and 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 if the Delta variant has its way, we might be back at home for another another. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm in LA, and we just went back to. Oh yeah. We went back to masking because the Delta variant here is. Uh, yeah, yeah, picked, yes, picked y'all up again. yes, y'all did. Yes, y'all did. We're doing a little bit. We're doing a little better here in New York. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, we 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 went to, we went back to masking again here in LA. Uh, I just spent a week in Arizona. Uh, loved Arizona. It was beautiful, but nobody masks. Um, no one, absolutely no one masked in Arizona, and it made us very. It made my family and I stand out. Uh, we walked into this one supermarket and my wife turned around and came right out because of the stairs that we were getting. Uh, but, yeah. well, but, well, I don't, I don't blame you, but you know, um, it's part of even think about the work that we do or what I do with healthcare disparities, you know, uh, it's part of the reason why I did the work I did in HIV because of the, the huge disparity in the burden of HIV on black and brown communities, particularly uh, men of color, whose uh, main risk for HIV was sex with other men. Um, You know, and then you look at the healthcare disparities in people of color that COVID-19 presented. Um, And, you know, in the midst of the uh, already uh, pandemic of racism in the country that was happening in a racial reckoning, and nursing was at the forefront of all of it. Think about what we do. Nursing was at the forefront of all of, all of it. So, so, you know, and then, you know, belonging to, you know, uh, the nursing organizations that I do, um, really, it all sort of coalesced over the last, you know, 16 months. Um, and being able to have multiple platforms and able to educate and talk and advise um, was really important. So I, I just sort of want to make a couple of those points. Yeah. Because um, again, um, it brings together a lot of what we've been talking about, not only what we do as nurses, but the venues and the vehicles we use and, and why um, I, I found myself doing some of the things that, that I still do. Yeah. Um, now, you brought, you, brought up, you brought up an in- interesting point. Um, where do you think... Um, what do you think nursing is as a whole in uh, doing their part, other than what we're doing bedside? Obviously, we're taking care of the patients. But as far as uh, getting the word out uh, or using its platform um, for to increase vaccinations, to better inform uh, the general public, and even 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 informing other nurses, uh, because we've had there've been pushback by nursing groups within institutions. There's been, uh, you know, unfortunately we just had a nurse that died from 
complications of COVID, uh, who was an anti-vaxxer type of a, uh, which was an unfortunate to hear about. Uh, what is, what do you think the role of nursing is moving forward? Because, you know, this and other, you know, other pandemics down the line, this isn't going to be probably our last yeah. one. Um, how well are we doing as a profession? You know, having you being so, in several organizations. Yeah. Well, I think we, we I think we learned a couple of things about nursing. One, um, as a profession, we are not a monolith. Right. We, and we never will be. So, and, and I say that because I think some people were, you know, even some people public in, uh, was surprised. Well, how can a nurse be an anti-vaxxer? Well, nurses, nurses come from all strings of life and they, they have, they bring their own sets of beliefs and values. Right. So yes, there is nurses who are anti-vaxxers, but in the bigger uh, sort of responsibility of, of, of who we are as the most trusted profession, we speak with authority, we speak with influence. And if you, you also need to make sure that you do no harm, we have the same responsibility as our physician colleagues to do no harm. Um, um, and if we really believe in the science base of our profession, you have to look at the facts. And you might be an anti-vaxxer, but that's a personal belief. But when you read the reports and you read the scientific studies that came out uh, of the clinical trials and the information that the CDC is putting out, you really have to be able to balance your professional obligation to appropriately and adequately inform using a science-based with your personal beliefs. Um, you know, because people will listen to you and you don't ever want to influence somebody to make a decision that might harm them. Now, I am a nurse, but I'm also really clear, Ali, I identify as a black nurse. And as a black nurse, I am not gonna miseducate black and brown and other BIPOC communities. I am not going to do that. I know that they are at increased risk because of lots of the social determinants of health that we, you know, we often talk about, but we also, we also don't talk about the political determinants of health in this, in this country. Um, we are a, a very divided uh, uh, nation, blue state, red state divide. Um, people don't have the same access to information based on where they live ge geographically. And um, the platforms that I have and have access to, I am going to uh, speak and can always speak from an evidence-based perspective um, uh, understanding the, even the historical atrocities that those communities have been afflicted with. Um, and I'm not going to under-educate under them. If anything, I'm going to over-educate them. Um, and even if they do make a decision, it's going to be a decision based, in, based on science um, in reality, because that's, that's my responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um... Uh, and uh, as you're so I'm gonna so again 
uh, from a nursing perspective, from a nursing organizational perspective, um, how would you, uh, how do we, again, I think this has come up with a few of my guests on the show. How do we unite the voice of nursing around that science? Because I don't know if we've leveraged that most trusted profession I don't, I, I'm, I think others are good at leveraging our most trusted profession, but I don't think we're as a nursing profession are good at leveraging. No, that. you know, what? If, if nursing ever really actually spoke with one voice, because we are the largest segment of the healthcare workforce, it is not physicians, it is us. And, you know, I, I think the unfortunate divide <laughs> within the profession goes, it, it goes back to uh, even the uh, historical implications of how nursing is viewed. Um, you know, we, we live in a, a male dominated society. It's a female dominated profession. Um, I think that has some aspects to do with, with why nursing doesn't speak with one voice. Uh, then you layer on the racial divide that happens within the profession and the um, entry to practice and, and how we divide ourselves up, you know, ADN versus BSN versus right. LPN. Um, we don't, we don't, we, 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 we have, there's not one single voice. Now, some people may argue, well, it's the American Nursing Association. It's the ANA. Okay, well, let's talk, let's, let's talk history. When, when uh, membership to the American Nursing Association was only open to white nurses. You know, and, and I say that because, you know, people will still ask me, well, Dr. Fields, why is there, why is there the need for a National Black Nurses Association? Well, because historically, we were excluded right. from that, that, that organization. And, and even when they let us in, they didn't quite give us a seat at the table. You know, it was, it was a, a small chair at a, at a table in a corner outside the conference room. No, it was inappropriate and it was, and it was inexcusable. So yes, we formed our own organizations because we were not given equal access and, and the opportunities to share our voices. And the same thing happens with all of the other ethnic minority nursing associations. Um, uh, you know, I'm also a part of the National Coalition of Ethnic Minority Nursing Organizations that includes, you know, the Hispanic, you know, Nursing Association and the uh, Filipino Association, the uh, Asian Pacific Islander, and uh, Ananina, the, the Native American Alaskan nursing group. Um, and taken together as the five, five you know, ethnic minority nursing groups, we, we speak on behalf of almost 1 million nurses in this country. Wow. Um, yeah. But we, we, we try. But I think there's been so much mistrust and, and, and honestly, even a little bit of, you know, uh, well, not even a little bit of, uh, there has been some mistrust. Um, but, you know, Dr. Ernest Grant, who is an African-American man, uh, who is the current president of the American Nursing Association, the first male president ever of ANA in its 100 plus history, um, he just happens to also be African-American. Um, he is leading the uh, ANA's Commission on Racism and Nursing. Uh, and it's really been a breath of fresh air to see nursing move 
into a space like this to finally confront some of the racial ethnic disparities that the profession has really not dealt with, which unfortunately has kept us divided. Um, and again, with everything going on in terms of race and ethnicity in our country, it's the right time for it. Right. So I, I agree. Uh, and yeah, uh, <clears throat> we had uh, Dr. Grant on the show uh, last year, and uh, yes. um, and it was uh, it was a great it was a great interview. Yeah. Yeah, ha I, have you ever met him, Ollie? Have you ever met Dr. Grant? I have never met him. I've met him. I've I've seen. I've spoken to him multiple times. Uh, and again, I yeah. had him on this uh, on the on the podcast, uh, but not he, not in person. So I'm hoping I meet he, him in person. He he I, he, he is a he is a, a mentor of mine. He is absolutely brilliant. Yes. The work that he's doing is just so important. Um, um, uh, and he's sort of a, a, a lot of people refer to him as a gentle giant. That's why I asked you if you ever actually met him because uh, he's very tall. <laughs> so, 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 and most people, it's one of the first things a lot of people, you know, physically, you know, remember Dr. Grant for. So if you've ever met him, you, you, you would probably remember because you were probably looking up. He he shows up tall on a on a on a video uh, uh, link also so <laughs> yes yes so yes, yes. Uh, so definitely yeah so yeah great I I I love the work that you're doing and and the things that you're involved with uh, thank you so much for your time on the on this stuff um, it's um, so yeah so I've I've had a few people uh, on the show um, Dr Danielle McCammy who does the DMPs of color uh, yeah. and uh, and um, my last I literally. I literally spoke to Danielle yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. She's yes. she's she's become a, a, a I've again social media met her through social media and Absolutely. we've kept we've kept it we've been talking back and forth for several uh, several months now and uh, Dr. Adrian Martinez Hollingsworth who does work uh, trying to promote uh, the uh, Hispanic nurses from the from junior high school high school and up upward and informing that community. Yes. So there's a lot of great work being done. Uh, and and, um, and um, I, I wish uh, we're, we're still not there, but I wish there was a better way to to collect all these voices into a unified in, into a unified force. So, I'm so that th there around. is some work being done. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. It was on my LinkedIn page a couple of times that the, the nurses you should know website. Yes. Um, that we started earlier in February of this year just to. Um, talk about some of the uh, historical and contemporary historical uh, uh, individuals, um, mainly uh, people of color, uh, other BIPOC people who have had influences in the nursing profession because most of nursing's history comes from a very white female Euro Eurocentric perspective. Yes. And most people only think that we nursing started you know, with Florence Nightingale and it's such a false narrative. Yes. You know, um, um, and it leaves out the contributions of so many other people. So I, I would really encourage, you know, your listeners also, you know, you can just Google it. Nurses, you should know if the website pops up. There are videos and, and testimonials um, from a lot of people uh, who have had influence in the profession. Um, there's even a profile of myself <laughs> uh, on there as well. Um, and I was a consultant to that project. Um, again, another innovative way in which, you know, we're, we're putting information out there for people um, in a public space. 
Um, and a lot of people are starting to use it in their programs as an educational uh, tool, yeah, which is part of one of the things that we were hoping would happen. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually very familiar with the Nurses You Should Know uh, project, and I think it's fantastic. Uh, but they I should I, do a profile of you. Uh, they actually reached out, and and I I, I, I actually I've, I have timed. I think uh, this afternoon, I think around five o'clock, I've clocked to to do to do that exactly. Yes. Uh, so uh, so yeah. So uh, thank you again. I wish I had more time. We had more time to talk. I hope we you and I. Uh, uh, cross paths at some point. Uh, I, I Like I said, I've been an admirer of your work for quite a few months and thanks for, again to social media for connecting me with you. Uh, and, uh, and I appreciate it. Um, anything else, any last words uh, before we, we so, sign off? Well, well two things. One, um, you and I are now forever connected. So don't worry about that. Um, um, I, do come, I do get out to LA. So you know, at some point we will meet. Uh, 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 I, I'm sure our paths will cross. Um, I just really want to leave your listeners with a sense of, of hope because I think that's important. And um, for those of you out there who are thinking about or considering uh, a career in professional nursing, I really want you to hear me and hear me well. There is a place for all of you at the table in nursing, regardless of your race, ethnicity, gender, religion, gender expression. Um, do not believe the naysayers that say that nursing is not a place for you or, or those people who may try to deter you, you know, because um, I'm here to tell you that uh, the world of nursing is open to all and we need you. We absolutely need you. So if nursing is really your passion, your vision, your hope, keep pressing forward um, uh, regardless of, of the obstacles that you may have to overcome. And, and then again, the, the very last thing, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with, with you and, and with your audience. I think this is really cool. Thank you so much. I, again, uh, um, your... Uh, I by the time I finish editing these podcasts or you know putting it together, I listen to all my guests about four or five times, and I and I learn something new every time I listen to it. So thank you so much for your wisdom and thank you for sharing your time. We have been uh, listening to Dr. Sheldon Fields, uh, and I look forward to bringing you more incredible guests as we move along season four. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Tayeb. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.